You're listening to Flip This Risk, where it's time for a new conversation about risk management. From the boardroom all the way to the barbershop down the street, you can overcome fear of risk and thrive. Join your host, Dr. Karen Hardy, for candid conversations with industry leaders from across the globe. Dr. Karen brings her experience as an industry thought leader, best-selling author, and Apex Award winner to each episode. On the forefront of today's risk management strategies, helping leaders from small and large businesses overcome risk and feel confident in their choices. Let's start the show. everyone. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy and welcome to Flip This Risk Podcast, where we interview high achievers about their relationship with risk taking and how it influences their leadership resiliency. You can find out more about the podcast at flipthisriskpodcast.com. And today I'm very excited to have with me Christy Kaufman. Hi, Christy. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. Well, Christy is the vice president at uh, Zillow Group, and she works across Zillow's businesses and functions to develop systematic data-driven strategies and tactics for managing risk throughout the organization. She oversees enterprise risk management, business resiliency, risk financing, health and safety information, security risk, and physical security. You are busy. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) To to say the least, you are busy, but one of the things I really love about your background, Christy, is the fact that it really uh, exemplifies how well-rounded you are, and you have a lot of well-rounded experiences, and I was curious to know, how has those experiences shaped your definition of what risk is? Oh, great question. Um, and I wish my my uh, 17 year old son was here was here to hear the answer to this because we're always impressing upon him how important it is to be well rounded. Um, you know, I think probably uh, the you know I've taken some t- intentional steps to to round myself out, if you will. Um, and probably the most noteworthy of those was when I left corporate risk management briefly for about 18 months. Um, when I was working for American Family Insurance, where I was leading ERM there, and I, I switched over to the venture capital side of the business, which was um, the, the fund that was investing in early stage companies in and around the insurance industry. And I very intentionally wanted to go over to kind of the innovation side of the business, because if you think about it, you know, risk and innovation are sort of at odds with one another. Although I would argue that if you think more deeply about it, they really aren't. But that's usually people's uh, natural reaction. So I thought I need to go over to the business side to see how it is in the part of the business that is taking risk every day. Um, It's very necessary in order for for growth to occur. Um, So that really gave me uh, an appreciation for how we um, think about risk and how we communicate it to business leaders. And and probably most importantly, what I learned there is that um, Issue spotting is not in and of itself is not really a valuable service or skill. <laughs> Anyone can do that. It's really the ability to figure out ways to, to manage those issues um, and to figure out which to sort through them, which ones are really game changing, like bet the farm kinds of issues that we should steer clear of and, and which ones are risks that we should embrace and, and say, hey, let's just roll the dice because we think that, that the commensurate reward for taking this risk will offset the risk. I love that. So I have a trick question for you. What is risk to you? How do you define it? I think that's a trick question. 
Uh, well, I, so I have, I immediately, what pops into my mind is what I learned in school. And I, I also met an instructor at the University of Wisconsin in their, in their evening MBA program. And this is what we cover on night one. And um, what we learned is that risk is uncertainty and outcomes. And what that means is that there's both an upside and a downside, you know, two, two possibilities. So we're not only looking at what we call pure risk, which is risk with, with potential downside implications, but speculative risk, which can, can both serve mm -hmm. to deliver gains or harm. Right, exactly. So it's interesting that you, in your portfolio, you look at enterprise risk management mm -hmm. and resiliency, the business, business resiliency part. So can you tell me a little bit more about how those two things intersect? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I sort of see um, enterprise risk management as the umbrella for all of the risks that a company faces um, so that whether that be strategic, operational, financial, legal, regulatory, technological, people related, um, really runs the gamut, anything that could impact our ability to achieve our objectives. And business resiliency, I see as a category within that probably falls within the operational risk pillar. And um, for us at Zillow, it's really about how do we prepare in the event of a natural disaster um, or some other type of man-made disaster that interrupts our ability to serve our customers. So having that, those preparedness plans in place, um, knowing exactly what we will do if we, if we suffer an interruption, how we will get by with manual processes until technology is restored and, and, and really having all of that thought out, well thought out and practiced in advance. Oh, absolutely. I like that uh, explanation of how those things connect with one another. Uh, I am curious to know, uh, in terms of you, your work in the venture, cap, venture capital area is fascinating. Is there anything that you could take from that experience that has helped strengthen ERM practices? Because that's, because that's a whole different, you know, body of work in itself, a whole different mindset, in, in fact. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, and I, you know, again, when I, I think it comes back to the, um, well, well, risk management is not there to, to, to simply issue spots. So I was mm -hmm. very proud of myself when I first joined a venture capital fund and I was like, oh my gosh, these startups are coming in and I'm able to point out all the things that are gonna be wrong with their businesses down the line and why we should not invest in them. And um, I remember my uh, managing director, Dan Reed, who's a, who's a great friend, um, you know, saying, you know, anybody can spot those issues. Like that's not the challenge. Right. Well, the challenge is, is to figure out how can we coach this this early stage company um, mm -hmm. how to move around those obstacles or you know circumvent those obstacles and um, or or perhaps just come come to terms with the fact that there there's definitely going to be uncertainty with any early stage company and and there are certain risks that we're willing to live with um, so you know helping to find sort of like where's that tolerance line where like what where's a where's a risk that's really you know just too great to take on because it's we're betting the house. Uh, versus mm -hmm. something that we can we can navigate because if we don't take risk then that's really the ultimate biggest risk <laughs> the, the absence of risk is the biggest risk because we would we would fail to you know survive let alone thrive if we didn't take risk in business you, you said you mentioned something that i think is very critical in, in fact that you had to do some coaching of leaders because you know the spotting risk that's the easy yeah. part isn't it yeah yeah that's just yeah. we can all identify and spot things because we yeah. all want to you know pick out what's wrong yeah, <laughs> but the, exactly. to, to make a, to get the course course correction 
It yeah. takes a little bit more coaching. Are you finding that you're doing that a lot in your in your role? I am. Um, you know, Zillow is I, I, not an early stage company, but 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 sort of is an early stage company. We 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 talk about um, how we're in this stage of Zillow 2.0. Um, the website's been around for over a decade, but we are now entering into new spaces. We are an iBuyer, so we buy and sell homes. We are a mortgage lender. Um, you know, we're in a number of different um, spaces over the last couple of years. So it does feel very much like an early stage environment. And um, I, I view my role and the role of my team as helping the business look around corners. So thinking about as we're doing these things uh, for the first time, while these businesses are may are may have been in existence before, the, the bringing all of it together, the kind of the one-stop shopping um, is, a, is a new concept. And so it's, you know, help, our role is to help the business think through um, it is a bit of issue spotting, but 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 not leaving it at that. So mm-hmm. one of the things that could potentially go wrong, and then what are we going to do to either prevent those things from happening or minimize their occurrence if they do happen so that we have a successful launch and a, a successful business for the long haul? So I think it's very interesting. So I'm sure you heard about the, the social media blackout that, that took, <laughs> took like a, yeah. a few weeks ago. The interesting yeah. thing is that it happened before in 2019, same thing. And it happened again in, in, in this year. So, and then it, it just crossed my mind that, you know, we have a lot of information and data, but yet a, a lot of folks still didn't prepare for that blackout. So it seems like the behavior didn't align up with our mitigation strategy. So yeah. you have data-driven strategies that you're working on within yeah. Zillow. Tell me a little bit about how, how valuable that is and how can you ensure that data is just not a, 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 a you know a collection of information that's set aside by actually driving decisions? Oh well, we are an, an incredibly data driven company, and I would say um, that's that's probably been one of the biggest surprises to me coming to Zillow, a very modern company, from having worked for um, in, in the past. I worked at American Family Insurance, Marshall McLennan Companies, Aon. These are companies that have been around for, in some cases over a century. Um, so the data-driven nature of everything that we do, I mean, all, all across the board, um, all of our decisions must be backed in data. If, we, if you don't have a dashboard, you, you better create one quickly <laughs> um, because it, it, it is really how we, how we make decisions, um, which, is, which is very refreshing and a, a, a wonderful way to a, approach business. Um, so yeah, I mean, and in data, certainly you know, on Zillow.com, there's, there's a ton of data. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we can put a estimate on, on every home in the country and the, and the algorithm, algorithms in order to um, deliver that product are, are incredibly complex. So it is definitely, um, you know, the crown jewels of our company and we do everything that we can to protect that. Everything from, you know, uh, protecting our intellectual property to um, making sure that um, internally everyone's aware of the, of the value of that data and that n- none of it leaks. Um, you know, it's just, it's really the most important thing that we have. Assessment, by the way, is a great tool. Really, every, I think everyone loves that too. But getting back to the individual piece of risk management, mm-hmm. uh, do you think we can separate how we view risk as an individual from how we view risk as a leader? Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, I here I am talking about the importance of taking risk to you from from a business perspective. Um, you know, personally, I'm probably not quite as <laughs> um, as far along on the risk taking end of the spectrum. I you know I think people who are drawn to this 
profession are probably a little bit more natu naturally cautious uh, in, in general, and, and I certainly exhibit that as well. So, um, you know, I think for we all we all have um, you know different tolerances for risk, and I think those are those tolerances are very contextual. It depends on the situation, and research has shown that people can adjust to the situation. So, if I know that I now work for a company that is willing to take a lot of strategic risk, um, I can adapt my mindset to to, to that and and act accordingly. But in my personal life, um, a silly little example that I use with my students in the class that I teach is, I always, uh, I start off the first class by asking when students um, refill their gas tank in their car. Is it when the needle is down to like a quarter tank? Is it when the, you know, the light is already on? Or are you someone like me where I like, when it's going below a half tank, I'm like, I gotta find a gas station immediately. Well, um, <laughs> that's a good example. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to measure out tolerance, isn't it? It is, but just because you're uh, risk averse in that you know scenario doesn't mean that in another scenario you might not be more risk taking. What was interesting to me is sort of the behavioral science behind mm -hmm. all of it. And how do we, you know, there's still so much research to be done, but how do we come to these conclusions about how much risk we're willing to take? Um, it's very, it's a very interesting field of study. I think for myself, I've gotten more prone to taking risk as I've gone further along in my career. And I think that's a natural evolution as well. As you get further along, you build up that confidence, you build up that financial safety net, you know, it does, it does prompt you to maybe step out of your comfort zone a bit more than than in the early days when you're just trying to get your footing. Yeah, and it's good to know that you're right. After a while, you start to build your confidence about it. But as you said earlier, alluded to earlier, is that without risks, you can't pursue the opportunity. So you have to be on board. That's right. With, you know, being mindful of that. So in terms yeah. of how can we become more resilient, resi resilient today? Um, you mean on a personal level? Well, on a business level as well. Either, yeah. either one, because uh, they go, they go hand in hand in a sense. They do. They do. Um, I would say, you know, on a, on a business level, it's um, a, a big fan of scenario planning. So mm -hmm. using that as a tool, um, you know, Looking at your looking at your business objectives, what are we what are we trying to achieve in the next three months, six months, year, and then for each of those objectives, what are the things that could potentially impede us from achieving those objectives? That's an exercise that um, I've used in a lot of the companies that I've worked for, and you know, just really opening up the, the group and in allowing devil's advocates, you know, just throw out the silliest of answers because they may not actually be silly, um, but coming up with those lists of all those things that could potentially impact our success and then what are we doing to address those? Um, just going through an exercise like that, while it may sound like it could be rather obvious, it, it does often lead to some very aha moments mm -hmm. when you just spend the time with a group brainstorming and bringing in different perspectives um, and, and and going through, you know, around the room. Um, you, can, you can learn a lot by doing that. So I, I highly recommend that on a business perspective. And I, I suppose you could do the same for yourself personally, what are you? What are your personal goals, and what are the things that are either currently standing in the way or could stand in the way achieving those goals? And how are you going to get around those? Absolutely. So we have to be resilient. We need to be mindful, mindful of risk. We need to define it what it means for us. We have yeah. to coach our leaders, right? Yeah. And we're starting to see there's more behavior involved in risk and just not data, even though. Data just, you know, we have to leverage our data and actually, you know, make decisions around it. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the future is in terms of not not your 
industry specifically, but in terms of the application of risk management practices? Mm -hmm. um, that's a great question. I, I think uh, I think we're going to move more and more toward predictive analytics. Um, we're we're seeing it already, and that's most of the early stage companies that are out there right now are they have some sort of thesis that's built on some sort some type of prediction. Um, and so for, for risk management and, and for the insurance industry, especially, I think we're going to get better and better at predicting. Um, and one of my more academic kind of theories or questions that I've been thinking about is, you know, insurance was built on this, this um, the concept of pooling. And we, we don't know what the future is going to bring. So let's bring together a large group of people. If everybody puts their money in, you know, law of large numbers, uh, disaster is only going to strike a small percentage of those, and that's what the money will be there for. I do kind of wonder, it'll be interesting to see if predictive analytics takes away uh, the necessity for that pooling as we get better and better and actually able to predict at an individual loss level where losses are going to occur. So it's a, it's a really fascinating, interesting time in our industry. Yeah, that's going to be very powerful to be able to do, apply those predictive analytics so that it's much more targeted, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and yep. give you much, much more informed, uh, you know, direction in terms of how you manage these particular things. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, it is, it is a pretty exciting time. And, and last, before we, we wrap up, in, in terms of the pandemic, whenever someone's listening to this episode, it will be post-pandemic time. So, uh, oh, I can't even, I, I look forward to that day. <laughs> I know, everyone does. So what do you think? In terms of lessons learned from this um, entire experience, how has it yeah. changed or your way of looking at things or even within your industry? How do you think leaders are taking all of this experience in and making changes? You know, I really do hope that there are lessons learned. I guess I'm not quite so sure yet uh, that the, the jury is still out, but I think one of the things that's gonna be most important is, um, there, uh, I, somebody I used to work for talked about, we need to uh, use a hockey analogy. We need to go to where, skate to where the puck is going, not where it is currently. And so I wanna, I, I think there will need to resist temptation to just only focus on future pandemics, but instead open up our minds to the fact that this was, was in general a black swan event and that the impossible is possible. And so we, it, when we as risk professionals are coming around and, and talking about scenarios that sound preposterous, I'm hoping that our leadership will open up their minds to the fact that, hey, maybe it's not actually preposterous. Um, and we will we'll need to use data to, to support that to the extent that we can, but sometimes we don't, we don't have the data. So I, I really hope that we, this is an opportunity for risk professionals to really show our value in predicting what those future scenarios might be. And I think we've got a moment in time here where leadership is, is open to that, but it's, but it's a short window because we have very short attention spans and they'll be on to the next soon enough. So it's, it's on us as a profession to really use this opportunity to open up leadership minds, you know, bring out other scenarios that might happen. What are the other black swans in your industry or at your company? And, and how are you preparing for those? I guess we realized that we were really in a box yeah. <laughs> and operating in a box until now. And as you said before, really think beyond even what you think is the worst case scenario. Yeah. That's yeah, right. that's yeah, that's kind of new to us. To we we have to visit that in our minds and in our hearts as we're thinking about that. We're thinking about you know that's impossible, or we wouldn't want, wouldn't want to see something like that. But in actuality, 
that's that's the type of world that we live in right now. That's right. And for a lot of these um, scenarios, that you know, you, it's you don't want to get too specific because obviously we can't predict exactly what the next thing is going to be and exactly how it's going to play out. But as long as you have some general parameters, you can develop a, a preparedness plan, a crisis response plan that you know is a little bit agnostic to what the actual event might be. Maybe there's certain categories. Um, so it's a, it's a flexible plan that that's, that will adapt to whatever the scenario is, um, but it's important to at least have that skeleton plan in place uh, so that you can respond to the different types of events that will come down the road. That is very good information that you just shared and very helpful for the industry and anyone you know, seeking to improve as we move along in, in this VUCA world that we work yes, in to see, yes. and to see how risk managers are making a difference within their organizations. Well, Christine, listen, I want to really thank you for joining me today on Flip This Risk Podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a ton of fun. Awesome. And I want to thank all my listeners for checking in and being with us today. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy, and we'll catch you next time. Helping you feel secure is our strategy. All the way from the boardroom to the barbershop down the street. Subscribe at flipthisriskpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.